Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament letter, a New Testament book, not a letter, the New Testament book of Acts. We're in Acts today, and at this time, as we open up Scripture here, uh, any elementary kids are welcome to gather out in the foyer for the beginning of our children's worship time. And thanks to David Eanes this morning for uh, pulling double duty, leading us in worship through song here, and now leading our kids through a time of children's worship. But we're in Acts chapter 20 today. Uh, and we are gathered there in that portion of the Bible uh, to hear a message on the purpose of pastors, the purpose of pastors. I feel like I'm preaching to myself uh, this morning. I need to hear this message, and I trust that you do as well as we trust that the Lord will guide us through his word to understand what it is that he has for us. But last week we noted as we opened up the scriptures that God enables and he equips the church to preach grace, the message of salvation, but also uh, to practice grace. God enables and he equips the church to preach and practice grace. And part of God's enabling is providing the people necessary for the church, providing the people necessary for unity in the church and growth of the body of, of Christ. And so last week, as we looked at Acts chapter 6, a key text with some uh, leaders in the early church, a a text where the church is growing in significant ways and faces a a ministry issue that must be addressed, we noted two groups of people that God provides. He provides pastors and he provides deacons. And we said that the primary difference between the two uh, is one of function. The pastors are called to spiritually lead the local church while deacons are called to help care for the church's practical needs. I want to pause right there before we even begin to lean into a text, before we begin to read this passage, our passage this morning, and pose the question, uh, what is a pastor? What's a pastor? I mean, if if we were to take a poll across Birmingham and ask folks to define pastor, I'm sure that we'd get a plethora of responses. In fact, even if we took that same approach in a room like this this morning, we'd probably get a wide variety of responses and varied things that would be emphasized. You see, to some, the pastor is a personal therapist or a spiritual coach. Uh, To others, he's a hired hand that's uh, to lead the church's ministry. Still to others, he's an officiant for weddings and funerals. To some, he's a professional Bible teacher or preacher. And still to others, perhaps the CEO of the church expected to organize and to strategize in effective ways to grow the church. So what's a pastor? What, what does the Bible say a pastor is? What is the role of a pastor? What's the responsibility of a pastor? What does God's word reveal about God's intent for pastors? And in summary, I think this is what God says. God says pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow Christ. Pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow Christ. And central to that shepherding is the message of the chief shepherd. In other words, we, we can't follow Christ if we don't know Christ and know about Christ and know the ministry of Christ and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, everywhere the Bible says much of anything about pastors, it's focused on communicating God's word, testifying 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this last week in Acts chapter 6 where the 12 were faced with an issue and they called upon the church to set aside some servants who would deal with administrating that particular issue so that they could focus primarily on prayer and the ministry of the word. And we'll see it again today, I think, in Acts chapter 20, where Paul has some words for pastors. And so as you find your place in Acts chapter 20, let me invite you, as is our practice here, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 and go to the end of the chapter, a bit of a lengthy text. Don't lock your knees, right? Let's hear from the Lord. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, we read this. It says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city of the Holy, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in, in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Let's bow together.
Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for being one who speaks, one who guides, one who does not leave us in the dark. And so, Lord, lead us now, the presence and guidance and power of your spirit through the proclamation of your word for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I think Paul's teaching right here that pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow Christ. In short, that's what he's telling these particular men to do. And we're going to unpack that a bit. And we're sort of jumping in right here mid-course in the book of, of Acts. We've not journeyed through Acts on Sunday mornings. We've got a class going on in that way on Wednesday nights, but we've not journeyed in Acts in the same way that we recently have journeyed through Ephesians. And so here's sort of the trajectory. Jesus has been crucified and resurrected from the dead. And he's appeared to many of his followers. He's commissioned them to go and spread the gospel. And he's ascended back into heaven. And when he does, the Holy Spirit is poured out on his followers. And the gospel begins to be shared. And lives begin to be changed around the good news of God's grace. Disciples are made. The church is born. Disciples are made in various places, even beyond Jerusalem. Disciples are made among Jews and Gentiles. Churches are planted and leadership is given. And in that process, a number of folks like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and others are sent out from local churches to spread the gospel, to evangelize, to share the message of Salvation by grace through faith in in Jesus. And on one of those journeys, one of those missionary journeys, on Paul's third missionary journey, the book of Acts tells us that he stays more than two years in the city of Ephesus. Now, we just finished Ephesians. Paul's journey to Ephesus was several years before he wrote that letter, but he stayed in Ephesus for two to three years, preaching the gospel and encouraging the church, the believers there. And then he leaves Ephesus. He travels north and west into Greece before beginning his return trip back to Jerusalem. And in Luke or Acts chapter 20, verse 16, Luke tells us that Paul is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to Jerusalem, ideally before Pentecost. And so that's where we enter the story. Rather than stop in Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem to see everyone, he pauses in Miletus. And in Miletus, Paul sends a request for the Ephesian elders to come meet him there. So it reminds me of a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine that lives out of state every now and then he'll show up in Birmingham. He's got family here in Birmingham and he'll sort of call me or text me last minute. Hey, I'm in town. Can we meet for coffee? I'm in town. Would you want to get together at Chick-fil-A? Come meet me. I'm here for a short time. I'd love to speak with you. And so here Paul says, he sends for the to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Verse 17. Who are these elders of the church? They're the pastors, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the church there in Ephesus. As we've noted before, the terms pastor, elder, Overseer, three different words that are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same office in the local church. The office that we often call, most often call, pastor. Sort of think of a mother who's a mom, 
a mommy and a mother, depending on who's talking to that person, perhaps they emphasize slightly different things, different kind of relationship. And the same is true, I think, when it comes to the office of pastor. Each of those words emphasizing something a bit different about the responsibilities of pastor. So Paul's calling on these people. He's calling for the spiritual leaders, plural, of the church to come see him on his way through. And they show up and Paul begins to instruct them. And when we slow down and consider his message right here, it becomes quite clear, I think, that Paul's telling these pastors to follow his example in their ministry leadership. And Paul says elsewhere that his example is built on the example of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Corinth. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So like Paul, and and like every believer, every follower of Christ, pastors are called to imitate Jesus. God calls pastors to serve the church with Christ-like character. God calls pastors to to serve the church, the bride and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, with Christ-like character. Listen to how Paul describes his own ministry in Ephesus as a model for these pastors charged now with leading that church in his absence. Verse 18 and following. Listen to what he says. He says to the pastors, he says to the elders, he says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. You saw me. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. As Paul's saying, my my ministry provides a model for how you should lead the local church. How did Paul lead? He served the Lord with great humility. He served with great humility. In other words, his ministry leadership wasn't about him. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we live in a day, perhaps we've always been in a day, where we're tempted to make too much of ourselves. We're tempted to call attention to ourselves rather than the one that we represent. And the church is not immune from this. We live in a time, we want celebrities to follow. Like we want models to put on a pedestal. We live in a day and time of celebrity pastors, so to speak. And we need to be cautious here. Oh, how we need to be cautious with this. I think of even the pastors in our own local association with which we associate, the Shelby Baptist Association, some 67 Southern Baptist churches in our county, 26 of which have less than 50 gathering on a Sunday morning. These are, these are churches led by pastors who... Week in and week out, month after month, many of them year after year, preach the gospel to the people of the church in their communities with relative obscurity, not known outside of their local settings. And yet they're faithful, faithful to proclaim the riches of God's grace and to shepherd people in a way that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. I I don't think it's unintentional here that these elders of the church in Ephesus, they're unnamed. Like, we don't know who they are. They're just send for the elders and have them meet with me. We, we don't know anything. We don't, we don't know who they are here. And Paul tells him, he says, 
He served the Lord with tears. He, he did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful. And he did it, he says, with hard work and generosity. Verse 35. Implying compassion and care for the ones he's shepherding. And a fortitude to press on for the glory of Jesus and the good of his bride. He did so in the midst of severe testing, he says, all painting a clear picture that Paul's ministry wasn't about him. But it was about leading others to Jesus Christ. See, pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow, to follow Christ. Our task for today isn't to examine all of the qualifications for those who serve as pastors. We'll do that perhaps another time. But we can't divorce the role from the kind of person that God intends to fill the role. I think the Bible is quite clear that when it comes to spiritual leadership in God's church, character trumps competency every single time. And yet, competencies are often the first things that we consider. Well, church, may it not be. May the Spirit lead us to be a people who value character, Christ-like character, before competency. May we be a people who value character before competency. Is this not what we do in other... Is this not what we do when we... When we're parenting our kids... I think of sports. We're living in that world right now. Many of you have or are even now as well. We teach our kids. I know I've told my kids, hey, you don't have to be the best on the team. That's not my expectation for you. You don't have to catch the ball every time, but you better do your best. Like, give your all. You better respect your coaches. You better respect the umpire. You better work hard and do your best and have a good attitude. Right, that's the expectation of it, because you can do that. You can control those things. Like, think about the kind of men that Jesus called. I just picture Jesus for a moment calling the twelve, the original twelve disciples, to follow him. No resumes submitted. No, no prior experience required. Just a willingness to deny themselves, take up their cross. And follow Jesus. Jesus, I, I take this group of fishermen over here. Like, they're a little rough around the edges, but you know what? They're moldable. I, I think I'm going to invest in this, this tax collector over here. N- nobody really likes him, but you know what? God wants to do an extraordinary work in and through him. Now, don't mishear me. Giftedness matters. It does matter but not more than character. In fact, if we're to lean in, and we're not going to do that today, but if we're going to lean into 1 Timothy 3 that lays out the qualifications for those who are pastors, there's a dozen or more characteristics mentioned, a dozen or more character traits found right there, but only one gift makes that list. Only one skill makes that list, and this is it, able to teach. Able to teach. There's pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow Christ. And you can't shepherd the church without teaching, without teaching the word. According to the Bible, preaching the Bible is the most fundamental component of pastoring. God calls pastors to preach. He calls them to preach and to preach the whole gospel of grace. 
calls pastors to serve with Christ-like character, Christ-like humility, and he calls pastors to preach the whole gospel of grace. Paul's message to the Ephesian elders is saturated with references to preaching grace. Just take a quick scroll here. These texts are not on the screen. We're going to fly through them out of this passage. But if you have your Bible open, you may want to glance down at them or listen well. Verse 20, Paul says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 22, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord has given me the task of what? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, he says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or the whole counsel of God. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. In verse 32, now I commit you to God and to what? And to the word of his grace, to his word. Paul's calling pastors to imitate his ministry of proclaiming the gospel from God's word. And he's not simply cherry-picking popular or comfortable texts. Like, it's not Psalm 23 every Sunday. Psalm 23 is good. It is rich. We should lean into it. But he's preaching the whole will of God. Why? As he tells us elsewhere, all scripture is God-breathed. Every bit of it. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because these scriptures originate from God. Because they're from God. Because what we need more than Anything is to know God. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. God calls pastors to preach the whole gospel of grace. To let all of scripture speak into the lives of listeners, tracing the message of salvation by grace alone. Through faith alone in Christ alone. From the fullness of God's story of redemption. And doing so faithfully is work. Like it is, it's labor. There's not some magic formula to this. So a couple nights ago, Ashley and I had the opportunity to go to a a rehearsal dinner for a wedding over the weekend. It was a nice dinner. We got to go to Perry's Steakhouse. Like, it was really nice. Had a good meal. We got home late that night. But during the course of that meal, being clumsy as I am, I flipped like a piece of grilled squash on my nice, my favorite pair of khaki pants. Immediately, there's a stain on my pants. I'm thinking, I don't know what's in this stain, but I, I bet it's oil, right? It's an oil stain. I get home, and it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And all I want to do at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night is go to bed. But I'm thinking, you know, this thing's got to come out. But I went to bed. So looking up 
last night. How, how do you get oil stains out of pants? Because I've seen little oil spots in my clothes before, wondering how this happens, and I'm wanting some magic formula, like. Now, what does it say? This is what the resource that I looked up said. It says, hey, first take a dry paper towel and dab it. Don't wipe it, dab it. Get as much out as you can. Then put some baking soda on it and let it sit for a while, like 30 minutes or more. And then it said, take an old toothbrush. By the way, make sure there's no toothpaste on that toothbrush. Take an old tooth, because that'll cause other stain issues. Take your toothbrush and begin to scrub it out. And after you've scrubbed it out, squirt some dish soap on it to help separate the stain. And then wash it thoroughly, just like you would any other time. I mean, all, all of that for a little stain. Like, I, I want, like, that spray thing that's in the cabinet and just, we're good. No. It's a process. It's work. It's, it's labor. There's not a magic process to faithfully and fully proclaiming the full word of God, the counsel of, of God. This is why Paul says what he does in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about providing for the needs of the elders or the pastors who devote their attention to preaching and to teaching. Like Paul expects some pastors to give themselves to this ministry, to give themselves to preaching. And I believe such an emphasis suggests that in the church, we are to expect a steady diet of expositional preaching. To expect a steady diet of expositional preaching. Now, what do I mean by that? Expositional preaching is preaching that exposes God's Word. It exposes God's Word. It's from the Word. It takes a passage of the Bible, explains the passage, and then applies the truths of the passage to the lives of the people. Beginning with the Word, not beginning with any other agenda, but beginning with the Word. In other words, a sermon is not a TED Talk, as helpful as those things may be. It's not a motivational speech. It's not a presentation. It's proclamation of the living Word of the eternal God. Like when I step up here, there's not unrestrained freedom on my part to say what I want to say. There's not unrestrained freedom for pastors and preachers to say whatever they wish. No, the message is right here. It is given and recorded as God's Spirit has led His servants to write His Word. And the preacher's task is to proclaim God's Word. Pastors are servant leaders who shepherd the church to follow Christ. And he calls them to do so with Christ-like character and to preach the whole gospel of grace. And we see here that God calls pastors to lead and care for those entrusted to them. So what else does he call us to do? He calls us to lead and to care for those entrusted to us. Pastoral ministry is a ministry of stewardship. Stewardship. It's ultimately done unto the Lord, leading and caring for the ones God graces us to lead. Paul charges these pastors, verse 28, here's the heart of his message to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I think it's almost as if Paul says here, you didn't earn this position. Like you, you didn't do anything to deserve it. This is not something that you work toward. The Holy Spirit did this. It's not a 
about you. Lead and care for the ones God has briefly entrusted to you. God calls pastors to lead and care for those entrusted to them. How do we do so? First, caring for our own souls. Caring for their own souls. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves. Verse 28. You can't lead the church to follow Christ if you're not walking with Christ. Care for your own soul. Elsewhere, Paul says the same thing to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, it's easy to stray. We know this, right? We see this all the time. See, leaders fall. It's easy to fall. It's easy to fail. We hear stories like this. Pastor, care for your own soul before you strive to care for the souls of others. Caring for their own souls and caring for the congregation. Caring for the congregation. The metaphor here is of a flock. It says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Verse 28. Shepherd the flock. Lead and care for the flock. Apostle Peter agrees. He echoes Paul's words here. He instructs elders in the church in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Again, reflecting the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. A shepherd cares for the sheep. Leading them to green pastures and quiet waters, yes, but also protecting them from attacks by predators. Pastors are to be on guard, he says, verse 31, guiding and guarding the church by maintaining doctrinal purity. Maintaining doctrinal purity. False teachers from without, verse 29. And even from within, verse 30. Seek to pervert the gospel and to distort the truth by propagating a message other than the pure gospel of grace. Perhaps a helpful question for us when we look to spiritual leaders in the church or we hear messages in the church. And again, many of these things don't just apply to the person standing here preaching the word on Sunday morning. certainly does. But even... Even leadership in a small group, even leadership in a Sunday school class. We see many of these principles unfolding in the same way, but a helpful question would be in reflecting on those times, asking, who's receiving the glory here? Who's this really about? Who's being elevated to an honorable status here? Is it the person standing before us, or is it the chief shepherd whom he represents Secondary question that would be helpful for us would be, was the gospel clear? Was the pure gospel of grace, was it proclaimed? Did it point us to Christ? Do pastors to care for the church by leading the church to maintain doctrinal purity? This goes hand in hand with being preachers of the gospel and students of the word. Paul says a qualified elder candidate or a qualified pastor candidate in Titus chapter 1 is one who must hold firmly... 
to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. In other, in other words, the message doesn't change. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. One who must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that, why? So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. God calls pastors to leading care for those entrusted to them by caring for their own souls, caring for the congregation, maintaining doctrinal purity, and perhaps most importantly, remembering the church belongs to Jesus. Remembering the church belongs to Christ. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is Christ's church. This is his body and his bride. Being transparent, believe it or not, every now and then I get discouraged. I don't think I'm alone in that camp. I don't know a pastor who doesn't from time to time. I don't know a person who doesn't from time to time. Pastoral ministry was described in a recipe. It'd probably call for one part encouragement and one part discouragement. Mix them up and there you go. There's more to it than that. Some recipes might even call for two parts discouragement and one part encouragement. But Christ calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to serve him. And to lead and worship for him. Faithfulness to him. Be shepherds of the church of God, Paul says, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, there's no one more valuable in the eyes of the Lord than the ones that were purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, how much more so then must the church be the Lord's and every person in it. So remember, pastor, the church belongs to Christ. Therefore, serve the Lord by shepherding the church. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text here concludes Acts chapter 20 with a final embrace between Paul and the unnamed Ephesian elders. A fitting farewell as the apostle heads to Jerusalem. Sensing that his own life is drawing to an end. And he says as much. I don't know what awaits me there. But the Holy Spirit tells me everywhere I go, hardship, testing, imprisonment. And ultimately, yes, this one gave his life, testifying to the good news of God's grace. He senses that his life is drawing to an end. And his journey reminds us of another journey to Jerusalem. It ought to. Reminds us as believers who know the word of someone else going there, knowing his life is about to end. Where the chief shepherd laid down his life to ransom his lost sheep. And Paul's purpose here, I think, is really nothing more than prodding shepherds to point sheep to the lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The Lamb of God is the good shepherd. Friend, follow the good shepherd who gave his life for you. 
follow the good shepherd. The chief shepherd. Follow the good shepherd, friends, who gave his own life for you. May we never put an under-shepherd in the place of the chief shepherd. May we never look to an an under-shepherd, a pastor, to do or to be for what a... For us, what only Christ has done and what only Christ can be for us. And may we shepherds never see our role as more than or less than serving the Lord by shepherding the church to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, follow Christ, the good shepherd who gave his life for you. And oh Lord, we we want to follow you. Oh Jesus, we want to look to you. Oh Father, we want to rest in your provision and your love and your care. And oh Spirit, we need you to guide us in that way. Lord, that we might look to the chief shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. To forgive us of our sins, to give us new life and eternal life, life without end. As sons and daughters of the Most High God. Oh God, lead us. Oh God, protect us. Oh God, guard us against false teaching. Oh God, Guard us and our leaders. Guard me against the susceptibility to sin, to error, to pride. Oh God, lead us to Christ. Lead us to run to Him, to rest in Him, to delight in Him, to follow hard after Him. Lord, lead us now, even now, as we respond, as we confess, as we worship, as we praise. Lead us to Christ. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.